All right, please turn with me this morning, either in your bulletins or your Bibles, to Romans chapter uh, 7. It's page 943 in the Blue Bibles. And a couple of times in a series like this, and thus far in this series, I've noted that it may be easier just to be in your bulletins because we'll look at a variety of passages in uh, Scripture or that are spread in your bulletin. It would, I think, be best for you, if you've got your Bibles, to have those open today as we park uh, mainly in Romans chapter 7. All right, we are at now sermon number 5 in this summer series, Flesh and Bones, A Biblical Theology of the Body. The first three sermons were these. In the first place, we looked at very good, that we're created by God, and that is very good. Then we considered the question from Psalm 8, what is man? In other words, how were we constituted? How does God view us as image bearers? And then in the third sermon, we asked the question, what's a body to do? What has God created us this way for? What is his intention for us to actually do with our bodies? So those were three sermons that came from a creational point of view in terms of looking at our body. That, of course, sets up the foundation. But it would be impossible for us to reflect on what we're supposed to do with our bodies without then considering the impact of the fall into sin on our bodies. And so we did that last week, and we continue it this week as well. Last week, we looked at the impact on our bodies of sin, and we saw in particular four areas in which that impact was concentrated. Uh, One was the shame that comes into our lives. Two was the pain that comes into our lives. Then the toil that is part of everyday living. And then finally, death. Uh, the last thing, and that was summarized in that phrase from Genesis chapter 3 and then repeated in other places of Scripture, the dreadful phrase, from dust you were taken and to dust you shall return. So dust to dust. This week, we're continuing there. We're continuing to look at what the fall has done to the body, but instead of now considering what the fall has impacted on the body, We have to look at the reality that not only has sin impacted us, but that sin is in us and operates through us as well. And that's what we are considering today. Uh, The title of the sermon is taken actually from a verse in Romans chapter 6. It's on the front of your bulletins, and it's called The Body of Sin. Our reading, the main text that we're going to be looking at today is from Romans 7, but really Romans 6 through 8 is uh, what deals with this theme uh, more holistically. We'll come back to it later in the series as well. Our reading in Romans 7 is where Paul is processing how the law of sin wages a battle in us against the law of the spirit of life that is inside of us. So a battle is being waged. Uh, First Peter, I put it on the front of your bulletin. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So this, whether it's Peter or whether it's Paul, we're talking about a warfare that exists inside of us. Now, as I read this passage for us, as I will do in just a moment, I want you to pay particular attention to the use of three terms. The three terms are flesh, members, members here are body parts, if you will, are extremities, flesh, members, and then the body that is used in here also. 
I'm going to read this passage for us. Remember uh, what the Word says about itself. The Word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is able to pierce between the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's a body description for you of what the Word of God does. The Word of God sees through us, cuts through us. So let's allow it to do so today as we hear this portion of the Word. I'm going to read it through a, pa- a part of the passage that was our promise of forgiveness. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not want, excuse me, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it, the law, is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus our Lord, So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, thank you for this precious and important section of Scripture. We pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would minister it to us today. Help us to understand these things that are written here Difficult words, to be sure, and difficult things to reflect on, but necessary and essential for us. So help us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Theologian Cornelius Plantinga, about 25 years ago, wrote a book about sin. Uh, The name of the book was Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. And in the book, he talks all about sin from every angle, I suppose, that he could think to uh, talk about it, and from all sorts of scriptural and contemporary angles. When he concludes the book, he concludes with these words. To speak of grace without looking squarely at these realities, the realities of sin, without painfully honest acknowledgement of our own sin and its effects, is to shrink grace down to a mere embellishment of the music of creation, to shrink it down to a mere grace note. In short, for the Christian church to ignore 
euphemize or otherwise mute the lethal reality of sin is to cut the nerve of the gospel. For the sober truth is that without full disclosure on sin, the gospel of grace becomes impertinent, unnecessary, and finally, uninteresting. Uh, The Bible does not shy away from talking about sin. And the Apostle Paul, for as much as he delighted in talking about the grace of God, the goodness of God, and the call to walk in Christ and live in Christ, the Apostle Paul did not shy away from talking about sin. He did not euphemize. He pursued full disclosure, or if you want to put it in the language that's so often used today, transparency. Transparency with respect to sin. And in so doing, he recognized with the rest of biblical writers that while sin is most certainly, most definitely lodged in faculties like the mind, uh, the mind, the heart, the will, even the conscience of mankind, that while it is certainly lodged there, sin is also expressed bodily as well. And of course, that's our focus in this series, is to look particularly at the bodily aspect of that. In the passage uh, that I read for us, Paul uses these three very physical terms that I've just mentioned, uh, the flesh, the members, and the body. And in particular, he uses them with these kinds of descriptions, the sinful flesh the sin that dwells in my members, that's verse 23, the sin, the law of sin that dwells in my members, and then verse 24, the body of death. Now, our task today is to try to unpack these ideas. If we're going to understand a theology of the body, we have to take these bodily terms and deal with them directly. What What does the scripture say here? What is Paul, why is he trying to use such corporeal language to explain sin to us? What does that mean for our bodies when you talk about sinful flesh and the sin that dwells in our members and uh, the body of death? All right, let's start in this place. In working through these ideas, it is important for us to begin by making sure we understand this. This is what you must understand before we try to unpack those terms. Embodiment is good. Embodiment is good. It's not neutral that you have a body. It's not always a matter of fact they happen to have bodies, so uh, be it. It's good. It's good. That's the way God has made us. Bodies are good. They are created by God in Romans chapter 8. It will talk about the fact that our bodies will be redeemed and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is evidence of the goodness of the body. Flesh is good. That's now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh is a really good statement. And the two shall become one flesh is really good. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us is very good. Flesh is good. The body is good. And without needing to pull out various 
passages from Scripture. Members of the body are good. Bodily parts are good. The extremities that we have are good as well. It would perhaps be very easy to make the mistake of reading the passage that is before us this morning, and if you kept reading or you started reading in Romans 6 and continued in Romans 8 as well, it would perhaps be easy to make this conclusion that physicality is the problem and spirituality is the answer to that problem. It would be easy perhaps to think that if we could just get rid of these troublesome members that keep leading us into sin, this fallen flesh, this body of death, that if we could just get rid of these things, then that would enable us to be free. And we could image heaven that way as well, that heaven will be the place where the body remains there, there in the ground, but then we're free from the body. And we're able to love and glorify God in some disembodied, ephemeral kind of way. But that can also get translated to this life as well, to this idea that my body is bad, my body is bad, my flesh is bad, my members are bad, I've got to get rid of these things, I've got to subdue these bad aspects of my being, of the way that I was made. To think that way would be a colossal mistake, a colossal mistake in understanding Scripture and in understanding Paul's intention here So my warning is this, don't make the mistake. Don't make that mistake. We've come to this section, we need to deal with these sections, but we spent three weeks talking about the things of creation in which the body is good, in which we are fearfully and wonderfully made, uh, and that that's how God made us, that's how he constructed us, that's who we are, and we are to use these bodies for for his glory. Jesus himself is embodied, he is enfleshed, and in Jesus, our bodies will themselves be resurrected and glorified. So there you go. Hold on to that as we go into now talking about these sections that we've got here. So what then are we to learn from this very strong and, quite frankly, decidedly negative use of this body language that we have here? All of them are used negatively, right? Flesh, uh, members, and body, they're all negative here. So why is he using it? What is he trying to tell us about the way that sin works, the way that it operates inside of us and through us? I'm going to give you four answers to that that question today, and it's not uh, in any way intended to be exhaustive, but I think at least these four things come clearly from our text that is before us this morning. If you are taking notes, the four answers to this question of what's going on with the body language in this passage all begin with this phrase, sin in us, okay? Sin in us. Every single answer begins with sin in us. First, sin in us is in us, okay? Sin in us is in us. At creation, sin was external to us. It was not inside of us. At some point, Satan and the other now demons had fallen from the position where which they were created, and that was rebellion against God. That's the establishment of sin, of disobeying the rule of God. 
but that's external to us. The tree forbidden was external to us. The warning about the tree that was forbidden is external to us. And the tempter himself is external to us as well. Sin wasn't in us at that point. What was inside of us, and here we'll use the shorthand language uh, of our catechism to make this clear, what was inside of us was what we've identified, knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. That's what was inside of us. But the first sin is not just a sin in the sense that it's something external that we do, but it is an internalization of sin itself. And we looked a little bit at this last week. If we were parked again in in Genesis chapter 3, we could reflect on this, that sin enters into the minds of our first parents. It enters into the minds as they reconsider, recalibrate what did God actually say and was it actually true Should they actually obey it becomes a question that's going on inside of their will, and the desires start to percolate, if you will. The affections, the heart desires start to percolate for something that can be offered that was, in fact, forbidden to them. So there's an internalization in those, if you will, soft faculties that are inside of us that is made plain, that is made visible to us when the bodily faculties, the bodily members that we have, are engaged themselves in the process of taking that fruit and of eating that fruit and of digesting that fruit so that it goes down inside and the saying then can be true, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. You are become what you ate. You ate that which was sinful that which was forbidden by God, and it became part of us. Sin in us is in us. Uh, I have some friends, uh, and these friends are not believers, but uh, whenever I walk by them, they want to know what I'm preaching on. What are you preaching on this week? You're preaching on sin? What sin are you preaching on this week? So we have lots of discussions with these friends about sin. And whenever we talk about sin, They want to talk about particular things. They've got particular sins in mind that come to mind when they want to talk about sin. But whenever I try to explain to them that ultimately the issue isn't about this or that particular sin, it's about sin that is inside of us, they are utterly befuddled. They have no idea what I'm talking about when it gets to that point. I walked in this week, uh, one of them says to me, what's the good word? I said, the good word is this, I am a great sinner and Jesus is a great savior. I think that's, is that Newton's last words or something like that? I think it's Newton's uh, final words. And that man had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. He just, he just looked at me like, what, what are you talking about with that? Well, in this passage here, what we're realizing is that inside of us is not just or these little sins that we do, but Paul is speaking of the law of sin, the principle of sin, the condition of sin that is within me. You see it in verse 17, the language, but sin that dwells within me, same thing repeated in verse 20, but sin that dwells within me, it dwells within me. It has taken up residence inside of me. And if you want to make a statement that something is within you, and you want to make that idea tangible, then you use tangible, defining, comprehensive terms 
to capture the entirety of who we are, terms like flesh and terms like body and terms like members, because you can say inside of those things, right? If you, if you want to, sorry, put flesh on the idea that you've internalized sin, then talk about the flesh. Then talk about the boundaries and the borders of who we are, and it is inside of us. Sin is working in us. It has corrupted us. It has despoiled the image. It is a pollution, a perversion. We ate a parasite, and it is devouring us from the inside out. Now, of the terms that we're talking about here, flesh is probably the most comprehensive term that Paul uses to explain this. Luther says that when Paul is talking about flesh, it's the whole man, body, soul, reason, all of the faculties. It's just a way of saying all of the stuff that is us, flesh. In this context, when Paul is saying in the flesh or in my flesh, he's describing our status as those who are in opposition to God. The point then is this. You can't distance yourself in any way from sin. It is a situation where it is danger close. Danger close. When I want to do right, where's the evil? Close. Real close. Right at hand there for me to do. It is at work, it, has, it is in residence in every part of us, in our bodies, inside of our flesh, in our members. They are repositories for sin. And sin has become interwoven into us. All right, so there you go. Sin in us is the first. Secondly, sin in us is deadly. Sin in us is in us, and sin in us is deadly. It is a poison. It is a cancer. It has killed, and it is killing us. For context around this passage, Romans 6 ended with these words, the wages of sin is death. Well, it ended with better words than that. The free gift of God is eternal life. But the wages of sin is death. Romans 7.24, that we read this body of death. Romans 8.10, the body is dead because of sin. Now, we focused on this last week with the dreadfulness of the phrase dust to dust. Now, this is undoubtedly and most certainly a spiritual death, but Paul here is using the physical word body and the physical idea of our body to show us, to illustrate the comprehensive reality of sin in us. Death the fact that everybody dies, the fact that you will die and I will die, bar the coming of Jesus Christ, it's evidentiary. It's the evidence. It's the proof that sin is in us, that it's working in us, that it's having a deadly effect in us. It's undeniable. It's inescapable. In time, what's going to happen? These members of ours, whatever the members are, they're going to stop their functioning. In time, this flesh of ours is going to get wrinkly. It's not going to be as taut as it is now. It's going to die. 
and our bodies will die. And so Paul is taking these very lively aspects of who we are, right? If you poked your flesh, it would bleed, you would feel the pain from it. Our members, you know, I'm moving my members all around right now as I'm speaking and talking to us. These are lively aspects of who we are, and Paul is illustrating here, hey, even those lively ones that are so lively right now, corruption's in them as well. Corruption because of sin. And so this body is the place where we see sin in us and its physical consequences, which are death. The wages of sin is death. This body of death is a reality. So sin in us is in us. Sin in us is deadly. And third, sin in us won't stay in us. Sin in us won't stay in us. In using these very physical terms, we're being shown the very basic truth that sin produces sin, or sin produces sins, plural. Sin bears fruit. And if we were looking at this more holistically, and we were bringing Romans 6 in the first part of Romans 7, you would see that Paul uses exactly that kind of language. That sin in us produces a fruit according to its kind. It does it internally, to be sure, but it does it externally as well. Uh, Let me bring in another passage, but I don't want you to turn to it right now. Think of uh, Galatians chapter 5. Some of you are familiar with the way Paul is speaking in Galatians chapter 5 about the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. But prior to that, prior to talking about the fruit of the Spirit, Paul talks about the works of the flesh. So if the Spirit in us is producing those, that good fruit, then the flesh is working as well, and it is producing something that is on the one hand internal, and Paul can talk about that. He can talk about the enmity that it produces, the envy that it produces, the jealousy, the anger, things that are kind of internal things that it produces. But then he can also say it produces all kinds of external realities as well. External product, external fruit is produced by sin also. And those are the things that are particularly ugly those works of the flesh. They are sexual immorality and idolatry and drunkenness and divisions and fightings of all sort. And so in in particular here in Romans 7, Paul is speaking of the instrumentality of our members. If the flesh is kind of the condition that you're in, if the body is kind of a body of death, well, it's, it's the members of our body, the parts of our bodies that have the instrumentality. Our members embody sin. They enable the exercise of sin externally through our lives. These members of ours are sin's hands and sin's feet as well. Think of Cain and Abel, and this is why I had us read the story this morning. Cain has an internal sin problem, right? The internal sin that he's got is anger and jealousy. The external manifestation of that is going to be in the first place 
with his tongue. Come, come, let's go out to the field together. And in the second place, with whatever he used to kill his brother. And you can really think of all of the paradigmatic large sin issues that exist, for example, in the Old Testament. Uh, You can think of the creation of the golden calf and internal fear, concern about where's Moses? Who's leading us out here? We create this golden calf, so there's the idolatry and then all of the unchecked revelry that comes from it. Or think of David and Bathsheba. Initially, something that is in the heart, a lust that gives birth to murder and then to uh, sexual immorality with Bathsheba. Our members execute the evil intentions of our hearts and of our minds. They put it into practice. Our members execute the passions of the flesh. That's what Peter is talking about. these, These passions of the flesh that are out there come through our members. Sin is both a spiritual and a physical reality. Our bodies were made to glorify and to enjoy God. Our members were made to be the instruments of that glorification and that enjoyment of God. But now, and this is what Paul's getting at here, now our hands and our eyes and our intimate body members, and our feet, and our mouths, and our tongues, they enact the sins of the heart, the law of sin. And so Paul is using here the language of members to say to us, it won't stay in you. It is in you, but it won't just stay inside of you. Those members of yours will bring it into practice, and bring it into the world, and bring it to others as well. Sin in us is in us. Sin in us is deadly. Sin in us won't stay in us. And fourthly and finally, sin in us is at war with us. Sin in us is at war with us. Verse 23, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. There's a warfare that is going on inside of us. There's a warfare that is going on, and the way that it plays out is not only in the thoughts and intentions of the heart and the mind, but in the exercise of these things through the members, through the members of our body, through the members being our eyes, ears, hands, etc., the other members that we have. Now, that warfare continues for us. Listen to that now to give, a, to give a very small example of what Paul is talking about. I think we can go to James, to a passage. You don't have to turn to it. Uh, just listen to it. A passage that is somewhat familiar to us in James 3. Listen to what it, James says. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, sin in us coming out through us, through that tongue. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. It's hell. It's the evil one. It's the fiend 
who has set the tongue on fire. We've taken it into us now, and now we are fire-breathing as a result of that. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And here's here's the warfare, here's the conflict, here's the the two-sidedness that can drive us crazy. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are in the likeness of God. We curse image bearers with this same tongue with which we praise God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so, to which Paul would say, yea and amen, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I'm saying. There's a warfare that exists within me. There's a law of sin that is in my members, this one at the moment, that James is talking about. And it's trying to take over. It's trying to seize control. It is set on fire by hell itself. And it's trying to get out there and to burn the people who are around me. This is the great tension of Romans 7 and of life for every Christian. When we want to do right, when we want to say the right thing, we end up doing, oftentimes at least, the very thing that we don't want to do. I can want and I can will the body and its members to do the right thing, but sometimes it feels like, and I think this is what Paul is getting at, sometimes it feels like they have a mind of their own, that they have a will of their own. Now, Paul's not saying that. He's still saying, it's me. I'm I'm the one here. This is at work within me. It feels like those things, these members of ours, are curved in upon themselves, like they seek their own glory and pleasure and not the glory and pleasure of God. Now, before we were in Christ, before we were believing in Him, we were utterly lost to the corruption of the flesh. In, in this warfare that Paul is describing We weren't really battling. We were, in fact, enslaved. We had been made captives by the flesh. There was really no struggle on our part because we were captured in those things. In Christ, though, in Christ, we have been freed from the dominion of sin in the body. But here's the reality, and this is what helps us to understand this. The body has not yet been fully redeemed. It's united to Christ, but it's not yet fully redeemed. Romans chapter 8 says this, and not only the creation, that is not only the creation is groaning, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are waiting for that. Are you a son? Are you redeemed? Yes, and yes, and yes, not fully. Not fully yet. Not fully fulfilled in your adoption, not fully fulfilled in the redemption of your bodies. That will make the completion of our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. These bodies, then, of ours, still bear 
the wounds and the scars, the impact of sin upon us, and the patterns of their old enslavement are still within us. It's like a wicked form of muscle memory. You know that phrase, muscle memory? That idea that you cannot have done something that you learned how to do really well for a number of years, but you pick up whatever, that racket, that bicycle, and you don't have to relearn it because there's muscle memory. It's almost like that for the Christian, that in these members of ours, there's muscle memory. It knows how to roll back to the old self, to the old man that is inside, and to do those patterns once again. The flesh is defeated, but it is not going down without a fight, and that tension and that conflict between a Christ-purchased, spirit-given delight and the law of God in my inmost being, and that's what Paul is saying, I've got that in my inmost being, my fundamental identity now because of what Christ purchased and the spirit imparted as one who loves the law of God. And the contrast between that and a body which tries to resist that delight and feed itself with a delight that is actually a poison, that conflict, that dissonance can feel for us like it felt for Paul absolutely wretched. It hurts like hell. Because it's right there in your innermost person. You know what is right and you love it. And yet, and yet, and that's the dissonance. That's the tension that Paul is feeling even at this point. It can make us yearn for deliverance from this body of death. Death is still working in here. Death is still working in this body. Oh, oh, we yearn for that not to be the case. And this desire then. That desire takes us running back to Jesus, running back to the one in whom we have been crucified. We'll get there in later sermons. So we've had two tough weeks then on the fall and its bodily impact on us, in us, and through us. We can try to deny it. We can pretend it's not so bad. Error is human. We can blame others for it. We can try to euphemize sin and say it's just a case of low self-esteem, I was just trying to fit in, or I just made a mistake. We can attribute it to society, to our environment, to our upbringing, to our parents, to Satan himself. Even if some of that is true, here's the reality. Sin in us is in us. Sin in us is absolutely deadly. Sin in us won't stay in us, and sin in us is at war with us. So full disclosure then, full disclosure, no euphemisms about what's going on inside of us. Made me think of a verse from 2 Samuel. This verse describes the fall of King Saul and his son Jonathan. 
Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. That's what could be said about the fall. We were created in this honored position as co-regents under God of this creation that he made. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. We have one foot in the grave, and the other one's in a slippery place. And if we took the words of the psalmist, we're right on the verge of sleeping the sleep of death. That's the reality. The reality of sin in us. Now, the next two weeks, turn the page. One more page over. Two more pages for us to go in this series. Four more sermon. Next week, we look at the fact that the Word became flesh, redemption in the incarnation of our Lord. So, if you will, next week, Christmas, the week after that, that the Word was raised in flesh as well, resurrection uh, and Easter, if you will. Here's what I'd like to do today in conclusion. I'd like you to stand with me, if you would, and I'd like you to grab your bulletins. Turn to page four of your bulletins, and I want us to read together the promise of forgiveness that is right in the middle there, and I'll lead us and we'll read it together. Romans 7, 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Take your hymnals, turn to 491. Bonnie's going to play it through once for us, and then we'll sing this together as a prayer.